Wow. Merry Christmas. Turn to the person beside you and tell them with the most sincere voice, Merry Christmas. That simple. Like, just don't say it to say it, but say it like you mean it. Tonight, we're going to have... Uh, we're going to have a party in about 20 minutes. Who's excited to party? Who didn't have any, like, who hasn't had a party yet? Or like a business uh, work party or school party? You haven't had one party yet. It's already the 19th. Well, tonight's everything's going to change because you're going to get to party. We got the local DJ setting up over there. One of the, the, one of the best DJs in Calgary. We booked him tonight just for you guys. Come on, give us a hand for that. That's a big deal professional photo booth out there that spits out your pictures real time, like the one, two, three, four pictures, you know what I'm talking about? You could take that home with you, put it on your fridge, send it to your family for Christmas. We don't, we don't, we don't spare any expense here, Tehila. Welcome to uh, Monday night. My name is Tim, and uh, I love that you're here. I'm not usually here by December 19th. I'm always in Vancouver, but this year is different. For the first time, guys, in 10 years, I'm here for Christmas because my wife's about to give birth. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Any day now, any day. So she can't travel. She could be, she could be delivering right now. My phone's on airplane mode, so... teasing. Uh, she actually gets induced because if she didn't, then I'd deliver the babies. She, her water breaks. This is a little lesson for some of you. And that baby comes in like 20 minutes. Like that's it. She's a, she's, she's a, mir- a walking miracle. She was born to deliver children. And we'll go in on the 26th and we'll be home for lunch with the baby in hand. Tell me the favor of the Lord isn't on my life. This is baby number five for us, by the way, and uh, it's a little girl, and her name you will find out next Monday. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I'm so excited. Christmas, man, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I asked Justin to play that song. It's the title of my, my, my uh, encouragement to each of you tonight. I have a few thoughts for you before we close out. I love that I'm here. Who's feeling Chris, Christmassy? Who's feeling it? I don't know, I just, I just get so happy. It's, I get so happy about this time of the, of the year. It, it, it takes a bit when we start driving. It wasn't always like that, let me tell you. Uh, it, gets, it gets complicated. Christmas is complicated. Who's with me on that? If you're married, it gets even more complicated. If, uh, if you're engaged, just wait, because... When you get married, if you thought it was hard then, just wait till you're married and it gets even more complicated. It's, it, there's so many things to figure out when the Christmas season comes. Where are you going to be on Christmas Eve? Who are you going to spend Christmas Day with? How long do we have to be with that part of the family? How long do we have to be with your mother-in-law? How long does... She's coming here this year, by the way. It's, it's going to be unreal. I'm so excited. The glass is always half full in my life. I love my mother-in-law, but it wasn't always like that, let me tell you. We, um, 
She, she, she's probably listening right now. Uh, Sue is her name, Sue Reed, and she's a beautiful lady. I love her so much. But it got complicated, James. When we first got married, I had never spent uh, a Christmas away from my family, mom and dad, my sister, the extended family, cousins, brothers, and sisters of, of uh, my mom and dad. Obviously, those are my aunts and uncles. Thank you so much. And we had grandparents and great-grandparents. It was an amazing time for the Masons. And then I met Devin, and it was even more amazing. And t- even when we were engaged, we figured it out. It was wonderful. Then we got married. And... Uh, uh, for some reason, she felt like because she moved her whole life here to Calgary, that we had to go there for Christmas to Vancouver. <laughs> Preach. I heard that. Uh, you know, at first when we were engaged, obviously I, everything she said was like, yes, babe, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we could do You're going to come, we'll move here, you know, we'll settle into Calgary. Yeah, we'll go home. But then Chris, the first Christmas came. When we were married, and it hit me one day, and I said, what am I going to do? I have to tell my parents that I'm not going to be here this year. This was back in 2007, so we're going on 10 years almost. And I I cannot tell you the angst and the tension and the complications that it brought to my life and to my family and and all the things that that it entailed. Who's, Who's been there? Come on, help me out here. Anyone? Well, just wait. It's going to happen. I promise you that. Uh, we, had, we had these moments, in, and I, I remember that moment where I felt like I had, to, I had to make a decision. So I did what I often do, and I called a friend. I phoned a friend, and his name is Paul Fraser. Some of you know Paul Fraser? He's a dear friend of mine. He works for, for District uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. He's a very dear friend. He lives in Edmonton. He is uh, a spiritual brother to me. And I called him and I said, Paul, help. What do I do? And um, after that conversation, so much made sense. And he explained some really wonderful things to me where if I went down a certain road, I would definitely, most definitely create uh, some strategically bad uh, decisions and outcomes for my life, period. And in saying all of that, I recognized through that conversation that what needed to happen was I needed to pick up my cross and, uh, and follow Devin to Vancouver. <laughs> that was powerful, eh? <laughs> and joking aside, it was a very, very wonderful decision that I made. And some of you just came here tonight to hear me say that. You're thinking about, uh, you, you're in this moment right now. Go where your wife tells you to go, or your girlfriend, or that girl that you want to be your girlfriend. Whatever she says over the next few days, do it. It'll work out for you. So we went to Vancouver, 2007, first one away from my parents. And I can tell you, all of you, with sincere honesty, that, uh, that, you know, doing that was difficult, but it was a wonderful decision. Complicated, and it still is today. It's going to be complicated in about two days from now when the extended family shows up at my house. 13 people in my home for 10 days. Welcome to the Masons. Do not come over from the 23rd to the 29th. Or pray for me, at least pray for me. To some extent, this is a little bit 
uh, of, of the same story that many of you have experienced or will experience in, in the next uh, years of your life. But here's the thing that makes Christmas so wonderful and, and so terrible. I know that's a harsh word, but so much tension at the same time. It's, it creates this tension where, where Christmas, this season, exaggerates all, the, the, all of the things that are lingering. You know they're there, but you avoid them. Christmas always brings them to the surface for some reason. You know what I'm talking about? Relationships, avoiding, uh, you know, paying your taxes, avoiding paying uh, your debts to people. It, so for some reason, Christmas always brings it to the surface. But it also, at the same time, does some incredible things as well. It is that most wonderful time of year. And the reason that I use that term, and it's such a famous term, is, is for this purpose. It is the most wonderful time of year. Not because of what's necessarily happening around us. Like, as I mentioned already, the problems that we can't solve the people we can't control, the expectations that we can't meet. That's not why. The truth is, if we look in the mirror, and I've had to do this over the 10 years of my marriage, is, is this, that I'm actually the problem most of the time that can't be solved. I'm the person who can't be controlled, and I'm usually the one setting expectations that can never be met. This happens... We put these expectations on other people, but really we're putting them on ourselves. And often we come to a, a place and a point in life where we just keep disappointing ourselves and the people around us. It's not the most wonderful time of year because of what's happening around us, but rather what's already happened. What's already happened. Who's with me? Okay. You can put it up on the next screen there. At Christmas, we celebrate an event where Christ came to earth and became the center of humanity. When we ask Jesus to become that, that centerpiece in our lives, and so many of you in this room are there and have done so, something shifts, right? There's, there's, there's something that takes place in our hearts we, we find a, a center, we find stability, we find hope, we find joy, we find purpose. All of these things take place because of what happened so many years ago. At Christmas, we are reminded who is for us. The darker that things get around us, the more we're reminded of the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ. This, for, for many of you, has been... Something that you've lived and something that you've experienced and something that you love to share with the people around you. Maybe even some that are here tonight who you've invited for the first time. Most of you know in, in scriptures there's, there's four gospels that start the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all have similarities and they all have great differences. And tonight just for a few minutes I want to look at the book of, of John. John is a unique man. He carried uh, quite an influence on his life. He was one who was very close to Jesus, close, as I'll share in a few minutes, to the mother of Jesus, who was Mary. This man 
expressed and wrote in the book of John in a very unique way, different than the other three Gospels. Specifically, and for tonight's example, the story of Christ's birth. And he didn't start things out the same way that the other guys did, but he did it a little bit differently. He did it in a way that made sense, I believe, to John and and what his life represented. And the thing that makes his gospel so unique, especially for this time of year, is what John wrote in the gospel. Um, and when he, when he was writing these, these scriptures, he was a very old man. Very, very old, in fact, when he wrote the, 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 the gospel of John. It was actually the last, they, the scholars say, the last of the Gospels that was written. John had told uh, the, the stories probably hundreds of times before he had actually started to write them down, and which we receive today in, in, in Scripture. We know this through the book of Acts. There's some things that to help us understand what that looked like. But John had expressed these stories and probably was asked many, many, many times about the story of Jesus after he had ascended into heaven. He had experienced many conversations, I'm sure. He, he did something very special, and you know this, and, and, and Pastor James touched on a little bit of this yesterday. Listen to the podcast. It was a beautiful message to our church yesterday morning. But John is the person who reduced God down to one simple word. One simple word, and I'm sure you all know what it is. God is love. Love. He did this in a way that was so unique and so so custom to the way that John thought, the way that he experienced his life. The reason this was so amazing that John had said this is because of what he had been through and had experienced in his life up until that moment. When he was writing these, these passages of Scripture, he had experienced far more than any of us in this room will ever experience. I can say that with confidence. There's some in this room, including myself, that have stories, very tragic stories of loss, very painful experiences. But I can confidently say that, that it probably doesn't compare to what John had walked through in his life. And the amount of loss, the amount of pain and sorrow that he had to go through. As a very old man writing these scriptures, he had experienced loss like none of us can comprehend. Loss of friends and family members and in some ways his his whole society, his whole Jewish culture was, was, was stolen from him at that tail end of his life. John was alive for a little history for some of you when Nero sent... General Vespace into Galilee to slaughter thousands and thousands of Jewish people and sent many more thousands into slavery in Rome. John experienced this, the Roman Empire taking over. John was alive when the son of that general surrounded the city of Jerusalem and for seven months didn't let anything go in or come out of Jerusalem. And the result was mass starvation, plagues, disease, and, and, and the death of, they say, over a million people. John experienced these things after he had walked with Jesus, and then later in life as the Roman world took over, these are the things he walked through. Experienced in 70 AD, 
70 years after Christ, when the temple was completely burnt to the ground, there was a slaughtering and, and hundreds of thousands of Jewish people were put into slavery and taken to Rome. He had seen probably two of his closest friends, Peter and Paul, executed. He had seen that. He had experienced these things and yet still was able to write what he wrote in the book of John. And the reason I share that with you is to give you a bit of context to the words of John and why he said what he said. Through that bloodshed and chaos, John never lost faith. In fact, at the end of his gospel, John writes this in chapter 20. We're going to read just a couple verses together uh, tonight. Let's go up on the screen in John chapter 20, verse 30. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. What's he saying there? Well, of what he experienced and what was actually written down, we, we really only get a taste, just a little taste of what actually took place when Christ walked on this earth, which are not on record in the book. Verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Not physical life that we know, but eternal life with Christ in heaven. In spite of all that he had experienced, John still believed that Jesus was the source of some kind of life that went beyond this physical life. He began his gospel not with, with birth narrative, but something quite different. And this is interesting because, as I mentioned earlier, when, when Christ was being crucified, he asked John, turned to him and asked, would you take care of my mother? And we don't know all the details. Theologians say that, that John did that and he ended up, for the rest of her life, taking care of the mother of Jesus. And you can imagine the stories and the conversation that would have taken place between those two for the, the decade after decade after Christ had left, the kind of dialogue between those two. John experienced that. That is what we understand as he was writing these scriptures. He had a very unique relationship with Mary. He didn't begin with a manger or he didn't talk about Herod, or he didn't talk about Bethlehem, but he begins, he begins with the significance of the birth of Christ. That's what he does in John. It's very different than the other Gospels. There's a, there's a, huge, a huge statement that he says here in, in the first chapter, and let's turn there, a couple verses I want to read in chapter 1 of, of, of the book of John. He says this in verse 4. In him was life. Him speaking of Christ. And that life was the light of all mankind. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. An absolutely incredible statement right here. It goes on to say, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. These are powerful 
words from John. If you remember way back when, there was this idea that Jesus coming back or coming to earth was for the Jewish people. And very, very clearly here, John explains to all of us that the light and the life of Christ was not just for the Jews, but for all humanity, all mankind, as he says in verse 4. He came for all. He came to earth for all. He came for you and for me, for every person that you've been praying for, that you've been believing God to touch their life. He came for each person, all of us. What a promise that we see here right at the beginning of John's gospel. There's something here that that he's trying to say and he's reminding us of the words of Jesus before he ascended to heaven. The the, the reminder, the, the, the words that he looked his disciples and said, go and make disciples of all men. Go and make disciples. Go and be an example. Go be my hands and feet. John is reminding us of these beautiful words that Jesus shared with the disciples. My favorite part here, in him was life. In him was life. There in verse 4, that life was the light of all mankind In spite of all the tragedy, in spite of all the pain, John is still able to write these words as he opens up his gospel. Paul and Peter had been executed up to this point. And John was probably the last apostle that was alive as he was writing these scriptures. But in his heart, the darkness was not going to overwhelm. And it was not going to put out the light of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to make sure that we knew that as followers of Christ. Right away that despite what he had gone through, he had experienced great triumph and great pain. But there was this Jesus that walked the earth. There was this Jesus that was the answer to humanity that was the light in the darkness that was here, the life for all mankind, John says this and is confident in his words. John was absolutely convinced that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what we face in this life, no matter how deep the heartache, no matter how extreme the fear that you're going through, no matter how deep the depression that you've walking that you've walked through or are walking through, there is a light that shines in the darkness and there is no amount of darkness that can take away this light or put this light out. Amen? That is the promise of our scripture. That is the promise from those who walked with Jesus on earth. So at Christmas, my my thought and my, my heart for each of you before we head into this this week coming as we celebrate Christ, we, when we are confronted with problems that we can't solve or people we can't control, expectations that we can't meet either from others or from ourselves, let me remind you that in the midst of all of this, I wrote it up on the screen, that Jesus is life and light who overcomes the dark. Period. He is that, and we cannot, we cannot go into this season without declaring 
this truth. I cannot go into this week without sharing with you the promises of Scripture, the, the heart that John shares with us in his gospel. There's always hope. There's always reason to believe there's a God who hears our prayers. There's a reason to wake up every single day and take those next steps because what makes this the most wonderful time of year is not necessarily what's happening around you, even though it can be wonderful, but more importantly than that, it's what's happened so many years ago for all of us, the sacrifice of Christ for all of humanity. When our Heavenly Father was sent to this earth, our, our, when our Heavenly Father sent His Son to this earth to redeem all people. This is the truth. This, I believe, can bring so much hope to each of your lives tonight. In Him was life, as the Scripture says, and the darkness had not overcome it. Not then, not now, not ever. That is the promise of Scripture. That is the promise that Jesus has for us. And may you think about these words as you go into these days, as you celebrate with family that maybe has not yet received the peace that God brings, maybe have not given opportunity for, for Jesus to take over their life, may, have, may not have given the space for the truth to penetrate one's heart. May you think about these words over these days and be a light in the dark moments, in the dark conversations, in the broken times that you'll experience over these days with family or extended family or friends. May you be the light. May you be the conduit of God's saving grace over these next few days. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you so much that you time and time again in your scriptures remind us of truth, remind us that you have already taken care of the details. You've made it so simple for us to just surrender, to just give of our lives and take the control that we so desperately think we need to have over our everyday, Lord, and you say, just give it to me. Let me take it. Let me run with it. Let me give you an experience that's not natural but supernatural. Lord, I pray for my friends all across this room, for those who are far from you, that they would find life through through your Holy Spirit, that they would, even in this moment now, experience a love that can only come from, from, from the Heavenly Father above. Lord, I pray that all of us in this room would not go through these next few days without thinking and meditating and contemplating on the promises of your Scripture as it pertains to the birth of your Son, Jesus. God, we love you. We celebrate your life tonight. We celebrate your life this week, and we thank you for who you are for each of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas.